0: Hello, this is Rob Carmichael with another Mainly Matters business podcast. And today I've got a great topic. I think a really uh, very relevant topic, an important topic for so many of these days, particularly in, in light of the pandemic and what's gone on in the past year, but something that's been a concern nationally. It's been a congressional concern for many, many years now, and that is financial planning and preparedness for retirement. And I'll get into a little bit more on that and some data around that. But I'm very pleased to have today as our guest, a talented, extremely talented and experienced financial planner, Darren Seekins from Northeast Planning Associates. Darren's been a great partner of ours and pleased to have somebody with his expertise to talk about this important topic. Welcome, Darren. Thank you,
1: Robert. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it, it is great to have you here. And as I as the introduction uh, I, I spoke to, it it really is an important topic. And when I speak today for our listeners, I know you know this very well, when we talk about financial wellness, I'm going to give you a little, our audience, a little uh, definition of financial wellness. And certainly it's not all encompassing, but it, it really speaks to how important it is. Financial wellness is a balanced integration of financial, emotional, and physical health. It comprises having adequate cash flow, sufficient assets, the absence of illness, and the presence of emotional well-being. So there, for financial wellness, is a balanced integration of financial, emotional, and physical health. And that's what we're really talking about when we talk about financial wellness. We'll speak about financial literacy uh, that's the education of those of us that need it for financial planning and, <laughs> right. and then financial planning itself. And that's where hopefully you'll shed uh, some great uh, light on that subject and, and provide uh, some of the experiences and some of the things that you you bring to the table for our listeners. Absolutely. So let's, let's go first, Darren, talk a little bit about your back. I always like to uh, speak to our guests and, and, uh, about their background and how they got into this, the types of businesses that that uh, we have on board uh, when we do these podcasts. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the financial planning business?
1: Absolutely. I Back back uh, right out of the army, um, I had decided that I really wanted to work in finance. I really wanted to help people. I mean, it, when you grow up, I grew up in Heartland, Maine. You see a lot of struggles. Um, you know, you see people Maybe not making great financial decisions, and it kind of puts them in a tough spot. And I always felt, wouldn't it be great to be able to educate people and help them kind of get to where they need to be uh, in their their financial life? So that's kind of what always drove me, I think, to come into this industry. And as I left the Army, I started applying around, and I was very fortunate to end up with Fidelity Investments as the company that I went to work for. So I went to work in 1996 for Fidelity. And I was in their uh, 401k service department. And looking back on it, it was just such a great place to learn, uh, you know, what challenges people face in planning for retirement. Because, you know, one minute you're talking to a person who who maybe is just getting started. The next minute you might be talking to, you know, a CEO um, about their 401k plan. So I spent about five years with Fidelity. Um, The year that I left Fidelity I was actually managing a branch in the Boston area. And I went to my wife and I said, geez, you know, I'd really like to bring this, you know, experience back to my hometown area. I want to go back to Maine. I think it'd be great. And after, after she basically looked at me and said, you're crazy, we started thinking about it. And, and she said, yeah, I think that's a great idea. So that's kind of how I ended up back here in Maine um, in, in financial planning. We opened our own business in 2002 and was recruited by another advisor to come to Maine Savings and be a partner with them in 2004.
0: Great. And I, and I should have mentioned right at the beginning that you and your wife, Christy, are both veterans. So thank, oh, thank, thank you for your service.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for yours.
0: Uh, Christy was in the Air Force. You were Army, of course, as you mentioned. Uh, and uh, it it's really uh, a great uh, honor to have you with us today, Darren. So when we talk about... Financial planning. This this past year, I'm sure, has been a really challenging year for you with the pandemic and all the things that go uh, have gone into that. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what challenges you've had to face and how you've been able to overcome those to some extent?
1: Yeah, um, it's it has been a strange year for everybody, right? And you know, when this all started to 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 happen and and businesses started to close down and. You know, financial institutions, closing the lobbies and and you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. so for for us, we were very fortunate in that years ago we went paperless, and we can work from anywhere. so we we've always worked on having a good contingency plan and it and it worked seamlessly in in that regard. Um, certainly, the challenge for me was I, I'm a face to-face kind of a person when it comes to meeting with folks. that's my preference. And, you know, I I haven't done a great job um, staying up with technology that would help me do that. So my biggest challenge was getting comfortable with with the technology. I think a lot of folks had to do that with like Zoom or, you know, Microsoft meeting or whatever, you know, whatever product is out there. But Zoom seemed to be the one that everybody used. Um, So that was a big shift, just not being able to go see my clients that I'm used to seeing face to face. I think for my clients... The uncertainty was very scary, but I have the best clients in the world. They, they always seem to stay very calm. You know, if I watch the news and the world is ending and I talk to my clients and I, I think I'm going to have to talk them off the ledge, so to speak, they're just as calm and, and they really, they just make, make very good decisions in times like that. So um, I, I would just say the biggest challenge is not being able to see, see them and, uh, and meet with them face to face.
0: And I can imagine when you're talking to a client, what's very important to them, obviously, and, and to you, is the trust that that is developed between the two of you and or the couple or whoever you're you're working with. And when you aren't able to be face to face, it is a challenge, particularly for people who aren't used to the the technology using Zooms, Zoom meetings, and or any other types of of uh, virtual meetings. That has to be a little bit of a challenge, is creating that bond. As you say, you you enjoy the face to face, and and that's probably a very important part of it.
1: It really is. I mean, it's it's critical, especially with newer relationships. Um, but to your point, I have clients that have worked with me for you know more than a decade, decades, and it's it's really nice to be able to pick up the phone and check on them, and and we're already there. And and oftentimes they would ask me, "Oh my gosh, how are you doing?" And I'm like, oh, that's very sweet to have somebody ask you that. We all, we all get kind of caught up in our, in, in our own worlds when something like that happens. So um, it's pretty critical to, to, to have somebody to call when things like that happen. Both, you know, pandemic, obviously not something we're accustomed to, but it kind of kind of works that way with financial planning, too, because we're with our clients in some of the best times to celebrate but we're also there when things kind of when life happens and then not not so great items that we have to deal with so it is um it is good to have great to have that kind of uh, um, relationship with with folks that you're almost part of their family
0: well and and you aren't sort of a counselor in some respects you you fill that that role just like a medical doctor you know those those types of people that we lean on for uh, guidance, for uh, whether it's spiritual or financial or, or or emotional or any of that, and uh, that's certainly a part of it. And we're going to get into your approach when you're dealing with a client. I want to set the stage first with a, f- a few stati- statistics that are. I had the honor a few years ago now of testifying for Senator Collins in front of her Select Senate Committee on aging regarding the preparedness of Americans for retirement. And it was pretty bleak at the time. And it may have improved a little bit, but the research at the time really painted a pretty bleak picture regarding how unprepared Americans are for retirement. And some of the statistics that that I came across are, for instance, a typical working family in the pre-retirement years headed by someone 55 to 64 years old, has about $104,000 in retirement savings. For more than half, though, that will not be enough when combined with Social Security and pensions. And nearly 45% of Americans, and this is a couple years old now, but 45% of Americans have no retirement savings. And those least likely to own a retirement account are in lower-income households. And although nearly 90% of households in the highest income own retirement accounts, only about a quarter... Of households in the lowest income quartile have such accounts. So uh, overall, the average working household has little to nothing saved for retirement, and that's that's a real, uh, real troubling statistic, wouldn't you say? This
1: is staggering. And I, in on a much broader level, I was just reading an article uh, three days ago or so that said, you know, what are what are retirees' biggest regrets? And it kind of ties into this. The biggest regret is a I didn't get started soon enough. And B, I didn't engage an advisor soon enough. So you know, it, it's it's a difficult thing to overcome because when you're when you see somebody who's 19, when any of us are 19 or 20, we don't think 60 is ever going to get here. So some, sometimes, sometimes we delay too soon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, as you were testifying, maybe there's a, a hurdle where. They just don't have. They don't know how to invest. They're, they don't have an employer that has a 401k. Maybe they work for a small company. So, we really want to encourage people to to advocate for themselves, as you would with your own health. This being your financial health. If you don't have a retirement account available to you, try go to your local credit union and ask. Uh, Do you have a financial planner I can talk to? Because we want to help as many people as we can. And. The younger younger we get them started at at this, the better off everyone's going to be later in retirement. Well, but it's and, never. Too, yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No go go ahead. Sorry. I
1: was just going to say, it's never too soon to get started, right? As a young adult, and it's certainly never too late. You'll be surprised at the folks that start later in life, that, and and what they can do, even though they feel like they're behind. Uh, the key is to to recognize you have the issue, and figure out how we're going to proceed to. To help make it a better situation,
0: that's a great point. And you have mentioned uh, the employer. At, from an employer standpoint, financial wellness is, is critical. It, it there are statistics that say that this is sort of a silent epidemic that afflicts 30 million workers in the U.S., a quarter of the workforce, and is costing fifteen thousand per year per employee. And that's the stress associated, or the the results of the stress associated with. Uh, fear it, of of not having enough uh, money saved for retirement and all those things that go along with it. They bring employees bring their financial stress to work. They are less engaged because of their financial stress stress, and it affects their productivity. and Over uh, four and uh, ten uh, of those employed personnel have uh, somewhat uh, s- stress related financial issues, and that's a, again a staggering statistics so there's a certainly an incentive from employee if not just to just a human you know the human condition and right. what we think about people
1: yeah absolutely and and it, and a lot of times in you know small businesses they they have they're also under the impression that we can't do this in a cost effective way we're not big enough it's too expensive it doesn't always have to be a 401k plan if you have a small company there are a number of different things called you know simple iras and seps where we can help educate the employees along with the employers. So I, I, that, that is a staggering information and it's something that it it really is kind of a crisis. We have to, we have to all do a better job of, of making sure that everybody at least has the education and opportunity to start as soon as they possibly can.
0: And there are a number of things that, that we can do. And we'll, I'll talk a little bit before we're done here today about what we're doing at main savings that have encouraged people to, to get started with investing in their 401k and, and those sorts of things. But let's talk about, would you describe uh, the elements you've sort of started down that road to, today? What are the elements of good financial planning? How do you get started with a client who comes to you and maybe hasn't started anything, or maybe they've got a little bit going on? How do you begin that process?
1: Yeah, we try to work with, with our folks. Everybody has, a, we have a consistent process, right? And, and not everybody is going to need everything we offer right at that stage in their life. But there's five areas that we, we consider the blueprint for financial success. Um, if we go by this blueprint, we don't forget anything that's in there. Um, and we work with our folks over the years with this. We, it just ensures uh, a much better financial outcome for For our clients, so there's no real particular order here. Um, it's we we focus on retirement planning, right? Now, retirement planning, it, everybody can benefit from, no matter what stage they're in, right? Which basically is here's what you have now. Here's what you will have based on your current contribution rate and how you're investing. Um, and at retirement, you're you're gonna have this much, are you and and when we dig into the numbers and expenses, We just basically want folks to know you're either going to have a surplus at the end of your retirement or you're going to have a deficit. And how do we how do we correct the deficit? Right. That's retirement planning. If you have a surplus, then we're going to work on the next item, which is estate planning. So let's just assume that there's a surplus. You know, things have gone well. We want to make sure at the end of your life. That you're finding your wishes for your loved ones and your charitable intentions are all taken care of, and, and it's set up the way it should be. Obviously, a, an attorney is involved in that process, but we certainly try to try to encourage folks to go down that path and make sure that's taken care of. Another item that we we discuss, a third item is, is asset protection. That could be something like long-term care. Have you thought about the risk associated with not having a plan in place? For your assets, and whether or not that you know that be legal work, whether that be uh, insurance, uh, there's a number of things. But we we look to try to protect our clients' assets. Um, tax planning would be another item. You know, you can do really well with your investing, but if you ignore where you're pulling money from and what you're buying and what you're selling, it can cost you a lot of money in the end. So we always try to look at tax planning opportunities uh, to help people down the road. That may be the difference between utilizing a Roth at some point versus a traditional, just because the tax uh, benefits of a Roth down the road may be better than a traditional. We do that analysis uh, for folks. The last thing would be investment planning, which is what everybody thinks of when they think I'm going to go talk to my investment guy. It's really just one of the five areas that we look at.
0: That's great. And when we, when we talk about uh, what, Uh, has led us to this situation where so few people are or or many people are not prepared enough for retirement is uh, and there are a number of factors and and some of those include longevity Americans don't necessarily always understand the concept of life expectancy Mm -hmm. and they're living longer and and therefore the amount needed for retirement is certainly larger than they may expect the cost of health care obviously has contributed to that problem the delayed adult life cycle uh, meaning adults are marrying later and having children later so later in life you've got maybe younger children that are going to college that happened to me recently or not recently but I have <laughs> you can uh, relate. I right. still have a child in college the yeah. uh, the boomerang kids and the senior sandwich generation according to the Pew Research Center 48 percent of parents are providing financial support for kids over 18 and 21 percent are providing financial support to parents over age 65 so uh, you know yes. another piece of it and and of course debt Americans uh, typically have had uh, too much debt I, it may be shrinking a little bit now uh, I read some things uh, around the, the pandemic and how it's actually uh, the debt to, has come down a little bit individual debt but then I'm not sure if that's accurate or not uh,
1: I have also read this alongside that is that Savings rates have kind of gone up significantly during this as well. It'll be interesting to see over the next year or two what happens with that, with the pent-up demand of wanting to go out and do things. But it's good to see the savings rate go up. And it's good to see that maybe some of our personal debt has shrunk a little. That is good.
0: Absolutely. Now, you talked about the the areas in your blueprint. Uh, what do you see are the most common mistakes or misunderstandings you have with people that maybe have already started financial planning uh, to some degree or extent, and and uh, they come to you and they, they want uh, some more help? What do you see are the most common mistakes? Yeah. So
1: with, with folks that, that have either already started or, or you know, we... we are deep into the process with them, probably the biggest risk that everybody is ignoring is what long-term care can do to their estate. Um, if, if I talk to a client that actually has some significant uh, assets for retirement, um, they, they really haven't thought about the fact that if, God forbid, something happens to the husband or the wife and they have to be in a long-term care facility, that can run between, between ten dollars and, and $12,000 a month. So that can really eat into an estate very quickly. So, you know, our job as planners is, is to point out what maybe somebody isn't seeing. And I would say that's the single big, biggest thing that people uh, may be overlooking. Um, but if, if it's somebody who's maybe just getting started um, or um, has been, plan- been contributing for a while, some of the biggest mistakes are maybe just not being able to save enough um, or being too aggressive with their investments. Or too conservative with their investments, so those are just some of the things that we we see frequently.
0: And one of the things that we point out to to new people, and I've certainly pointed out to my children, is is that when you think about it, if you're working for a company that has a match and main savings has a match of six uh, percent, essentially, you think about what you spend on a weekly or a biweekly <laughs> basis on on. Dunkin' Donuts coffee, or Starbucks coffee, or your specialty coffees in some form, or, or and you start adding that up, and you and you think, okay, if I cut back just a little bit, I could easily invest enough to get my full match at my company. Even somebody making, you know, not a not a great uh, a great uh, salary, but somebody that uh, is above minimum wage uh, still could afford to put away enough. And after a while, they just, they wouldn't miss it at all.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I go back to my dad and probably your dad. Everybody used to say to me, you pay yourself first. Okay. You have to save first. And anybody that we meet with that's getting started, it's always important to point that out. You bring an excellent point uh, up with the match. Do not miss out on free money. That's a, (laughs) that is free money. So the, the very the very minimal is you have to max that match. There's no need to leave free money on the table. It's a huge benefit, and I know Main Savings has their match, and and it it's, it helps it helps the the employee grow that money much faster, and it gives them a lot of encouragement to say, hey, somebody's in this with me. You know, they're helping me. Um, I'll give you a quick example. I had an an employee of Main Savings who. I've been fortunate enough just to kind of watch she came into the to main savings uh, maybe in her mid 20s not long out of college and we sat down and I enrolled her in the 401k and and every now and then I'll get an email from her and the last one was hey, Karen thank you so much for helping me understand this I just crossed the hundred thousand dollar threshold it's a huge a huge deal and it seems like yesterday she was just getting started but I think of somebody who's 29 or 30 because main savings offered that benefit and she took full advantage of it what a jumpstart she has on her retirement we d- I just wish it could be for everybody we want to get as more more people onto this as we you know as we possibly can
0: well Ian back to your point uh, one is one is that time flies by so f- so quickly <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> yeah. just when we think oh I have a long time to to save and invest and all of a sudden you know I'm at my retirement age or getting close to my retirement age. But the, the, the power of compounding, the power of consistency mm. over long periods of time. Would you talk a little bit about uh, the market? And I don't, I don't want to get you in trouble in, 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 in any way, but <laughs> it, people, I think, sometimes misunderstand the long term perspective about uh, investments. And I'm talking about investments with 401k or any type of, of really reasonable right. investment.
1: I, I think it's pretty time. That question's pretty timely, based on what we've been seeing with Robinhood and, and GameStop and all, all these things that have been happening in the marketplace. When you, there's two different things, right? There's speculation and then there's investing. And investing is 401k and retirement driven. Could be your own personal IRA. Could be your personal retirement, uh, your, your your personal assets, but a much longer-term strategy. Time mitigates risk, right? So. If you think about, if I go to you today and say, Robert, can you buy Coca-Cola today? I want you to buy Coca-Cola today, but you have to sell it next week. It is what it is. Well, that, that's a kind of a, a scary proposition. you got a 50-50 chance. You're either going to be up or you're going to be down, right? Mm-hmm. But if I say that same scenario, if I, I give you the same scenario, but I say it's 10 years, you're going to look at that totally different because, we know that time, you know, Coca-Cola is probably going to sell more products 10 years from now than they are right now. And, and, you know, when you look at history, so when people look at the markets and they look at investing, especially people in 401, in the 401k world, if you will, it's important to recognize that although your account balance may be going down, you're accumulating shares that are essentially on sale. So the more you gain in shares, when the market recovers, you're just going to you're going to see that account balance grow exponentially, right? So it, it really, when you when you shift from that type of investment to I'm going to buy GameStop this week because it looks like it's going to go up another 100%. You know, I've had three or four family members come to me recently and say, ah, I kind of, I'm down 30%. Now, granted, they they were speculating with a few dollars, but that's that's speculation. And, that, you know, you, you have to understand the difference between I'm putting money in here, and I'm kind of gambling on this stock in the short term versus my expectation is to get a, a good reasonable rate of return over the long term. I want to meet or beat inflation and get and get a little bit more of a gain to help me out down the road.
0: That, that's a great point, the difference between speculation and investment. It's one thing if you have some dollars that maybe you can afford to lose and you want to play around a little bit, uh, speculate a little bit versus your retirement Savings, your retirement investments—it's a whole different game. And certainly, as you progress in your life and, and reach uh, closer to your retirement age, your risk tolerance is going to change from when it was, as you were saying, when it was when you're 20 or in your early 30s, even.
1: That's right. That's right. It certainly does because you, as you get n- nearer retirement, some of those funds are going to start to be utilized, right? So you always want to pay attention to to your time frames. Be really honest with yourself, you know, when you're investing. Hey, if, this, if this account goes down 10%, how am I going to feel about that? And, uh, and get some counseling from, from an advisor, right? Because you said earlier, you made a very good point. And, and really, as advisors, if, if, if my peer group, lots of times I hear advisors say to me, man, I feel like it's more about managing emotions than investments. It really is. You know, money, you work hard for your money. So you get personally attached to it. It's a very emotional thing. So, so the goal is to help people uh, have a better chance for a good outcome in the long run.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you mentioned long-term care insurance. Is there a point of time? Obviously, it, you you probably can't get long-term care insurance when you're ready to go into a facility because of a, an issue you're having. But is there a, a right. point, an age point, where you, you're probably not going to be able to uh, to get that?
1: Yeah, it's it's we're, we're having the conversation with our clients. I think, you know, you know, again, my peer, my peers that I talk with, we're having the conversation earlier and earlier because the, when, you know, you don't know when you're going to have a a health issue that will make you uninsurable, right? It may not even be age related. Maybe you have some health issue that hits you when you're, when you're 64 and then you can't get insurance because of that. You may, you'll fully recover, but you can't get the insurance because you had this condition. So, um, the, the younger the less expensive it is uh in it's certainly more difficult as you get it up you know, in 75 and 80 80 range but there's a lot of new things out there from insurance companies new products we call hybrid par- products where the family benefits or the person benefits uh you know from the protection a lot of people say to me i don't want to pay for this long-term care insurance and then never use it it's just a waste um, so there's there's a lot of a lot of companies now that if, if you die without using it your heirs would get the money back through insurance if you do have a problem they'll pay the long-term care benefit to help you pay for for the expenses at the facility right and then if if later in life you you know 10 12 15 years down the road you never really needed it and you don't feel like you need it any longer you could get your money back hmm. so th- those are things that that we're utilizing more and more because if you have somebody with a half a million dollar estate and they spend two or three years in a facility that can really have a, a, a horrible impact on that, on that person. So what every, everything that person's worked for.
0: It's yeah, certainly great, great to know. It's, it's definitely worth somebody uh, talking to somebody and getting all the information you, you possibly can to make an informed decision on that. Absolutely. Now the, the, the old rule of thumb, was that retirees will spend seventy to eighty percent of their pre-retirement income and and that number should be adjusted up upward with inflation. Is that what you're telling your clients? Is that sort of still the rule of thumb?
1: You know, that is a very industry general term. And and it, you know, a lot of the calculators that you'll see on a on a four oh one K webpage uh they'll they'll a lot oftentimes will use seventy percent. I I really dislike, you know, I really dislike pigeonholing somebody. Um, if it's just broad based, I think it's a good rule of thumb to start with. But when I'm talking with a client, you know, two questions, one, you know, how much money do I need to retire? You know, cause you'll see, well, do I need 1.4 million? Do I need 2.2 million? The reality is you have control over your expenses and you also know what you want your retirement life to be like. So we, we want to start with expenses first, right? And then we'll work. We'll work on that number. But as a general rule of thumb, uh, uh, to get started, seventy percent is sort of an industry-wide thing. And,
0: and one Industry. of the things I read recently all was was that uh, in some cases, Americans may be more prepared than they thought because their consumption changes and actually reduces. So uh, that when they are uh, retired, they're not spending as much, nearly as much as they were, and, and that specifically. Uh, speaks to people that are at the middle-class range, uh, but the higher-income folks that haven't planned and are used to a certain retirement or used to a certain standard of living uh, living are all uh, finding that they don't have enough, uh, as they might, <laughs> might, you might think that they should have.
1: That's a, re- a really good point. You get all of us to a degree, we start to get uh, accustomed to a lifestyle that is in range with our salary. And if, if you, you know, if you make a million dollars a year and, and you, you know, you're enjoying some of the finer things in life and you want to continue that, you, you really need to start to plan for that because as I said, are, are you remembering the expenses of the Camus wine that we want or, you know, th- those things can kind of sneak up on you. And, and, uh, but if, you know, oftentimes I'll say to a retiree, Hey, what's, what's your plan? And they're like, I just, I'd love being in my garden. I, I'm never going to leave my garden. You know, that's everything. That's very different than I want to go. I want to make sure that I go on one or two major trips per year. So I always like to get a feel for what their, what their needs are, what their wants are. And then we're going we're gonna to put a plan together because oftentimes retire, retirement is more front loaded. You know, you're going to do more from 65 to 75 than you are 75 to 85 because, you know, you, you want to travel or you may want to do a few things. So we may want to build a plan out to illustrate that for folks. So that's part of back to that retirement planning piece where you say, hey, from years 65 to 75, let's build a $10,000 a year travel budget in here so we don't forget that you want to do that. And then let's see how that affects your overall plan. Or maybe we build in, I want to buy a second house. How's that going to affect me? Right? So those are some of the things that we try to look at.
0: Yeah, Great points. Uh, Certainly uh, all very relevant and very helpful. to going forward with our folks now we talked about the reasons some of the reasons why people aren't saving enough and one of the the reasons that sticks out is the fact that uh, people are not creating an emergency fund or an emergency savings account for a host of reasons do you find that to be true
1: absolutely it's it's our first conversation with and, and oftentimes those are those are folks that are just getting started or or um, younger, younger families, right? Where, hey, we all know what it's like when you have kids and expenses are really high and maybe your salary is not where, where it might be a few years from now. So um, it's very, very important to have that emergency reserve um, because, hey, if you lose your job, you know it, you wanna you want have that sense of security that I'll be okay for a little bit. You know, the three to six month rule, right? But I also try to encourage people you know, we may want to, if you have a company match, you, you want to pay yourself first. Maybe we split the difference, right? Let's, let's work on building this up. Um, but it's absolutely critical to have that. The problem is if you never get, if you just never seem to turn the corner and you just tell yourself, I'm not contributing because I didn't save, you really just need to put some action plan down. It's, we've all been there. It's like, what can I do to, in my budget to try to get this reserve up so that I can start saving for retirement, because nothing is more powerful than time, right? The sooner we get people investing, the better.
0: Absolutely. And and one of the things that that the problems with not having an an emergency savings account is now uh, when something happens, many times those employees or those folks will borrow from their 401k. It's probably one of the last things you really want to do. Isn't that correct?
1: It, It is. I mean, you know, you're taking your taking your funds from your 401k. You're having to pay it back with after tax dollars and it's out of the market. Uh, it could work to your benefit, but, it, you know, that's a pretty big gamble. And and there's also problems if you happen to change jobs during that time frame. Now, the, the loan can become taxable if you can't pay it back and and it can be subject to taxes and penalties depending on your age. So it is a tool that's there but it should be one of the last, last resorts. I, I, I'm in agreement with you on that for sure.
0: Now, a couple of things that, that companies are doing now, we're actually, uh, changed our 401k policy a little bit. And we actually, uh, when somebody new is hired, we enroll them in the 401k at a, a specific, uh, at 6% deferral. They have to opt out in order not to start deferring. And that's all explained to them in the paperwork. And what we found is more people are contributing. More young people are contributing to the 401k and staying with it because we, we do it that way. You have to opt out of the deferral as opposed to opting in. And that's been, across the country, that's been successful. And the other thing that companies are doing, we aren't doing this as yet, but they're doing escalations in the deferrals once again, the employee would have to opt out. It might def- escalate, say, 1% a year up to a certain amount. Uh, and if the employee doesn't want to do that, they would have to opt out of that piece of it. It helps force them to save.
1: I, I'm in 100% agreement with, with that. I, I think lots of times it's the, it's the kind of the push that someone needs that they can always make adjustments. They're not locked into that as long as it's very uh, very well communicated to them. I don't see an issue with that. The, the only the only argument that I've heard that does make a little bit of sense is if somebody's auto enrolled in a traditional four hundred and one k, and they might be better off contributing on a Roth basis. You know, some people have made that argument, but to me, the pros completely outweigh the cons on this, and and I'm I'm glad that employers are doing that. And I feel like you guys might have been out in front on that, been doing that for a while.
0: And, that uh, that's a great and, point and and one of the things we need to make sure we're we're explaining to folks is that they particularly with a, with our uh, with fidelity we can they can choose to and make their investments or change their investments into a Roth situation and we need to explain that up front to them.
1: Yeah, and hopefully fidelity I'm sure fidelity has great educational tools and they <laughs> and they and they and anybody they can reach out to and an advisor that they know myself. I mean it's it's really important to, to know the pros and the cons of the Roth versus the traditional IRA, especially early on in your investing life, because you, you may be in a tax bracket that's very favorable for you to just contribute to the Roth and not take that tax deduction up front. And, and, and it will reward you down the road, because as you look at the political landscape, the policy, the, the national debt, on and on and on, you can well imagine that taxes are not going down taxes are going to be going up. Right. So it's probably Roth has got to really be looked at and and analyzed.
0: Great point. Certainly great point. Well, this is a, this is a topic that we could certainly uh, go on and on, but uh, I guess to sum up the conversation, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to go into the business what kind of education that if they wanted to get into the financial planning business, do what you're doing, what would you say to a young person, maybe getting out of high school in college?
1: I would definitely encourage them, obviously, to to go down the business uh, business, uh, degree path. If the colleges offer something that's even more tailored towards financial planning, investment related, uh, some colleges do have that. Uh, If you already know, that's the direction you want to go. Um, once, once you kind of get your education under your belt, um, there's so many different ways to get in to, to do business in our world. I'm what's called an independent advisor, which means I'm self-employed. I don't, I don't work for an investment company like Fidelity, for example. I used to work for Fidelity. I left them to start my own business. So that's a difficult field to get into from scratch. It's almost impossible. The hurdle's really high. So what a lot, of, a lot of young people do is they'll go to a Fidelity Investments to get their start, and they'll make a decision in a few years. Do I stay with Fidelity or do I want to start my own business? Essentially like what I did. Um, th- that way they get licensed up, licensed up. they, feel, they get a feel for the business, and um, they, can, they can learn on that company's dime and Fidelity benefits because they get a great employee, and that, that, that employee may decide to stay or that employee may decide to go off and make start their own business. So really, that's a, a, a great way to get into this field.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you being here, Darren. And I think uh, if, if we take just one thing away from this, it's really, it's that whole start early piece. Speak to somebody, get some assistance, but start early with your retirement planning, your investment planning, your emergency savings account, and and really, I think part of it is just learning to live without a little bit of money as you're younger and uh, think about all those discretionary things you spend money on and put a little bit away. Make sure you you match whatever. If you're with a company that has a company match, make sure you're at least putting aside that amount of money if possible, or as you indicated, at least split it between the, uh, the deferral and a, an emergency savings account. So uh, great stuff today, Darren. And how would people get a hold of you if they wanted to uh, get in touch?
1: Sure, there's a couple different ways. One, they can call 207-862-7247. That should put them out with one of my team members or myself. And uh, the other way is they can go for planning for me, all one word, all spelled out, planning for me, dot com and they can schedule an appointment on my website there's also some tools and things there calculators that are helpful if they want to go on and try to try to just uh educate themselves a little bit and um and uh, that can also be helpful but really appreciate you having me on today it was it was an honor and i hope you have a good day sir
0: we'll certainly have you back um we'll we'll do financial planning one oh one oh two next time sounds great (laughs) All right. Well, this has been another uh, podcast of Mainly Matters to Business with Rob Carmichael. I look forward to being with you again in the near future.